It is Saturday morning, about 8 o'clock. I've chugged down a cup of water, and I enjoyed a delicious cup of coffee with cinnamon and oat milk on the front porch in the delightful fall morning, and it hit me that this episode is ready to be recorded. For the last several weeks, I've been kind of mulling over an idea for this episode, and it wasn't all there yet, and I feel like it's here now, so I'm going to record it, even with my sleepy voice. And it's interesting because when I was testing the, the quality on the setup here, <clears throat> the first several recordings that I did were faltered. They didn't record anything. You couldn't hear any audio. And here I am recording again. So I don't even know if you're going to hear this or not. I'm going to roll with it, though. The message that keeps coming through is a different life, a different life. And it's something because as humans in this lifetime, we've been taught so many things and we don't necessarily believe or enjoy them. We just do it because it's what we've been taught. And one thing that's been taught is this sort of like idealized life. And we get this belief around it that life is supposed to be a certain way. It's supposed to go boom, 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 have a beautiful childhood. You've got the white picket fence. You go to school. You get good grades. You go to college. You get a good job. You get married. You get a spouse. You have a partner that you love each other so much and you're so dedicated and loyal to each other and you have children and you get a dog and you have these cars and you go on vacation and it's like this idealized life of what life is supposed to be based upon based upon what other people have said they wanted their life to be like and to some extent yes because i live in america i'm an american and this country that we have allows us to do that. And also, it allows us to do something completely different as well. And as I look back and reflect on my life, like, honestly, I don't even know how I'm alive. I don't even know how I am the person that I am now. Like, I don't even know how it's possible. And I'm reflecting on it because it is a different life. I have lived a different life. It's not anything like anybody said it would be, yet I'm here still. And it's early in the morning and I haven't done my, my energy work yet. So I'm likely to be emotional. I'm going to roll with it though. And I know that you're going to roll with it too because you love me and I'm grateful for that. So thank you. Reflecting on my different life, like how am I alive at 36 years old with a life that I have lived? A few days ago, a sweet nephew of mine reached out and he's on his self-healing journey and he was inquiring about my childhood and growing up there was a lot of secrets in my family and there was just things that we didn't talk about. And um, 
if you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> and I'm an open book when it comes to my past. If you send me a message and be like, Rachel, tell me everything, I will. Because I'm an open book about my past. And I was sharing a little bit about uh, my childhood because that's what my nephew asked me to share about my childhood. And I had broken down into three different stages of childhood. I told him that I had my childhood from ages 5 to 10, and then 10 to 13, and 13 to 23. <laughs> and that is my childhood. And even though I've got a lot of experiences and a lot of memories, I've also blocked out a lot. And I'm going to walk through and just share what comes up about it, the different life that I've lived because most people have no freaking clue. Like when they meet me now, they're like, how in the hell are you not in a mental institution? <laughs> like how in the hell are you not batshit crazy? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. The different life that I lived and the things that I have survived and learned to th thrive from. I shared a little bit about, about this in the trauma series and I want to share some more now. <clears throat> So some things that I have survived and lived through and what makes up my different life is in childhood growing up, I was one of six kids. We grew up in the country and we had a pretty decent life. My father worked often, often. And he was gone before I'd wake up in the morning most times and gone at dinner time and um, when I was a child, like we did stuff as a family and also like, I remember we didn't do stuff as a family. And one of my first like really poignant memories, like a poignant trauma is when I was about four or five, I was sexually abused. And I'm not going to go into the details on it. I'm just want to share about the different things that I've gone through in my different life. And um, it, it wasn't by a family member, it was a family friend, and, um, for a long time, like, I questioned the truth of that, or I questioned the reality of it, if it actually happened, and I know now that, yes, it, it did happen, and, I know there are certain things that I have blocked out over the years, and I just know <clears throat> and that moment really affected me, and it shaped the woman that I was for a long time, and that was hard because I didn't talk about it. I didn't know how to talk about it, and so I just didn't. <laughs> I had a client that I worked with a couple of years ago and she told me, she says, sometimes I, I tend to not do things because I don't know how. I'm like, I get that. <laughs> so that was one of the very first things that I really endured was 
sexual abuse as a child. And after that, um, you know, one of the next big things growing up was my mother having mental health issues and she just got sick and she got sicker and sicker. And I remember her being really involved with our school and then it just stopped and she wasn't there. <clears throat> and when she was going through her medical search, doctors couldn't find what was wrong with her. It was in the early 90s and they didn't know. She was just in pain a lot. She didn't feel well. She was tired a lot and they didn't know what was wrong with her. And so they just prescribed her pain medication because she was in pain. And it turned into something so much bigger than that. Because she loved it too much. And she took it too far because she created alternate identities and went to multiple doctors in multiple states to get the same prescription of narcotic <clears throat> narcotic medication. And she became riddled with addiction. And I remember their moments being so, I was so scared that we'd come home from a school and we'd find her dead on the floor. And oftentimes we came home from school and she was passed out on the floor or staggering. We would call it drunk. She, we didn't know what it was. We just said, oh, mom's drunk again. Running into walls, falling over stuff, breaking stuff. She was very emotional, very rational, violent at times. She would, I remember this one time she threw plates at my brother's head because he was making fun of her hair. And we had to take care of her. My dad was gone working. And in my family dynamic, my three oldest siblings moved out of the house. And they were older. And so it was the younger three. And yeah, I was 10, 11, 12, 13 at this point at the peak of it. And my mother was Baker acted several times and Marchman acted several times. And the ambulance had to come out several times because she was unresponsive. And there's this one time that I think it was after she was Marchman acted. And um, she is very whip smart very intelligent she knew how to work people and she had worked her doctor to staying on the same medication on a ration and with three adolescent children at home and a father that was gone working it was left to us to ration her medication and my oldest sister did it. She was about 16 at the time and she did it. And one day she wasn't there. She didn't want to do it or something. So I did it. I had to do it. And we had to keep the medication hidden. And I, I was so mad. I was so angry. And she had all these medications, like fistfuls, not even handful, fistfuls of medication. And 
had a list that I had to go by that she had handwritten and I would get each quantity and there's this one these narcotic um, medications called Darvacet and those were her favorite and as I was rationing them out I intentionally put more in the count and it was so funny because when we would deliver her medication she had her arms crossed over her chest and her leg crossed over just so bitter she was so angry she'd count each and every one to make sure we got the correct dosage and I had slipped in those extra ones just to see what would happen <laughs> and she was counting them over and she counted over it and she knew there was an extra and she didn't say a thing she took it <laughs> she took it and um there was a death in me that day i don't know what it was <clears throat> but something happened to me in that moment whenever she took that extra pill <laughs> I laugh now because it's so fucking funny that the trials that we go through shape us and more importantly our reaction to the trials anchors it in and um, at the peak of my mother's illness it just became too painful to live in the house with her and my father um, filed for divorce and it was a very nasty divorce it was a very nasty divorce there was a custody battle between me and my younger brother and I remember having to go to court and go into this small room with this judge and pick a parent to live with I had to choose which parent to care for me and was it going to be my addiction riddled mother who lived in bed or my father who was absent working and at the point in time I was starting to get just I don't even know what I was I was itching for something different and so I picked the father that was absent so that I could have a little bit more freedom and um it didn't matter because my father didn't have space for me. I don't, I don't remember. I might, I might be mixing up some of the facts or details, but it ended up that I lived with um, two of my different sisters, my older sisters. I lived with both of them for a while, and it was so hard not having a home. It was hard not having a space of my own being thrown into somebody else's mix and I bet that sounded really awesome yes I'm <laughs> my nose is running my tears are falling and I'm still going forward with this transmission because I feel called to I was living with my oldest sister 
when I was about 13 years old and her husband had gotten a job as a nurse up in Chicago and they took it and I couldn't go with them and it was so much that I couldn't bear that I went into my sister's cupboard and she had some old pain medication and um, I took it. I don't know how many I took. I think it, it was like, I think it was hydrocodone or something. I took four or five of them and I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. And um, I don't know if I meant to attempt suicide. I don't know what I meant to do. I just did it. And as I felt the pain drifting away, as I felt the medication lulling me into whatever it was lulling me into, I think I called my sister and I told her what I did and told her what happened. She called 911 and the police came and they didn't send an ambulance. I don't know why. The police came and they took me to the hospital. It's the first time I rode the back of a cop car. <laughs> and um, it was a really interesting time because there was a lot of changes. And one of the changes was that I got contacts at that same time. Like, I didn't want to wear glasses. I needed reading glasses. And I didn't want to be a nerd wearing glasses. So I opted for contacts. And I always have had like issues with things being very close to my eyeballs and it didn't go very well. And also I was in the middle of trials for a pageant because I did beauty pageants when I was a child. And it was like <clears throat> all in the same week that I took these pills. I got these new contacts at a pageant coming and they put me in a hold for, um, I don't know what they asked. It was like a mental hospital. They put me in a hold and I didn't sleep the whole fucking night. Like literally I didn't sleep that the door was left open and the light was left on and the bed was like old bus seats <laughs> with a plastic sheet over it. And I didn't sleep a wink and I didn't talk to anybody. And I think they let me out the next day or in a day or two. And we didn't talk about it. Like, I don't remember talking about it. And all I can think now as a mother and as a parent, that if my child intentionally took too much medication, we'd have so many conversations to get to the root of it. And I don't remember talking about it with anybody, no family. No friends. I don't even know if I told any friends about this. And that's kind of where I fell off the deep end because my sister left and then I moved in with my dad and my brother and it was this tiny trailer in the woods and the trailer was dilapidated, like holes in the floor. Hot water wasn't working much of the time and um no dishwasher like <laughs> it was not fun it was really not fun and at that point i started to just really 
hold on to things and like my room was a wreck like the closet was so tiny and I had all these clothes and nowhere to put them and so I just left them in a huge pile on the floor like if you had called it a rat's nest it would be a rat's nest and that's how I lived I didn't have like a bed frame I slept on a mattress on the floor and I was so embarrassed so fucking embarrassed and the shame and the embarrassment just led me to want to escape and so I started partying I started had my first glass of champagne when I was 13 years old and it tasted terrible and I drank it anyways because <laughs> I wanted to feel different I wanted to be cool and Smoked my first joint when I was, I don't know, 15 or so. I made out with my first boy when I was 15 or so. And I was sexually active at late 15, early 16 years old. And um, it was a really hard life for me because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I stood for. I was barely existing. I was looking to just completely escape my life and who I was and who I wasn't <laughs> and um, it was a cycle that lasted for about a decade I stayed in that cycle for about a decade and when I was 16 years old uh, I had a boyfriend and it was shortly after my father had remarried and the woman that he married there was a very short courtship and she had a daughter that was a spoiled brat and I wasn't a spoiled brat <laughs> like I was the kind of child that got spanked if I talked back and um, being thrust into this new living situation with this stranger and her daughter who was also a stranger I had to share a room with this girl i didn't even know she was a mess she kept her room such a mess and she snored loudly and like it was just not fun for me <laughs> and um and the partying got deeper because there was other teenagers in the area that had broken homes and they hated their parents and they didn't want to live the life that they were living so we partied I snuck out a lot I got so good at climbing in and out of the window I'd sneak out and I just wanted to be older I wanted to grow up so fast so I wouldn't be stuck as a kid anymore and um, so this boyfriend that I had when I was 16, um, he was older. Um, yeah, he was emotionally immature. Like he was very, his emotional intelligence was younger than mine was. And um, um, when I was 16, it was like a Friday night. He and I decided to go to a hotel together. And I told my father that I was going to be spending the night at my friend's house my girlfriend's house and um this was like before cell phones really and before i could get a chance to tell my friend the plan 
she had called my house looking for me. <laughs> and my father's like, well, she's supposed to be with you. And I don't know what happened if she didn't cover, didn't cover well. It was obvious, though, that I wasn't where I said I was going to be. And then the next morning, I, um, I don't know, the next morning when we came back from the hotel after we checked out, I went up to the Eckerd's where my brother was working, worked at the Eckerd's drugstore. And um, I went up there and he's like, you're fucked. <laughs> And um, he told me what had happened, and I was like, I didn't want to go. So we lollygagged there, and there was like a tall hillside outside his job that we would sit at. And um, it was like this slope that we would just lounge on. And I remember just staying there as long as I possibly could. And then I went back to the house with my boyfriend, and I don't know what my father said. I just remember the tears. I just remember crying and crying and crying. And he told me to leave. He told me I couldn't stay there anymore. And my brother had this giant duffel bag. Like, I tell you, like, the biggest duffel bag you've ever seen in your life. I, an adult male could fit in this duffel bag. And I just remember taking this duffel bag and shoving it full of everything that I could in my room. I filled it with everything that I could. I just shoved it in there, and it was so big I couldn't even carry it. I dragged it, and um, we loaded it in the back of my boyfriend's car and drove to his house, and he told his parents what had happened. He was living with his parents, and they had a pretty interesting living situation, too, and they said I could stay there, and so I stayed at that house, and I shared a room with his brother <laughs> and like it wasn't even it was a calf it wasn't even a room it was like an enclosed living room and the door didn't work there's no privacy I didn't have like a dresser drawer or closet I kept my duffel bag like between the wall space and the bed space on this twin bed and I didn't know how to be there I didn't know how to own my space and own my big so I crept around everywhere I tiptoe everywhere I'd hold my pee as long as I could and after everybody went to bed I'd quietly get up and sneak to the bathroom because I didn't want anybody to see me <laughs> and <laughs> it was so hard because I still had to go to school and <clears throat> the school that I was going to was across town and a busy part of section and I didn't have a car, I didn't have a vehicle and so I'd drop my boyfriend off at his job and then I'd drive his car to school and it was so hard. But I don't know how I did it. He had a an old Mustang, like a nineteen ninety before that even, probably like a 1989 Mustang that he had refurbished and um, it was a carburetor, so the gas on it was just horrible. It was like driving a truck. And um, I don't know how we afforded the gas. It was just like $5 here, $10 here, using quarters to fill a gas tank just so I can go to school and get an education. And um, the relationship that I had with my boyfriend, it was oil and water. We were just so not good for each other. 
it was not good for each other and it was toxic and um that went on for a while and at some point my sister one of my sisters had found this friend that was selling a car for five hundred dollars and it was old and the windows didn't roll down and the ac didn't work and we lived in florida and it was so fucking hot but it was a car and i bought it and i had five hundred dollars and i got it and um then i started working and i'm going to skip past some stuff because my timer's running up here so i'm going to speed along as much as i can and um then I got a little bit more serious about my life. I got, I get a job um, working at a credit union, and so I had some consistent income. And um, then shortly after that, I started my first business, and then I just became an entrepreneur. And I got married, had children, and I had health problems. I had so many health problems. I had like three surgeries in three years, and total hysterectomy and over removal and I just this isn't even all of it this is 30 minutes of a whole lifetime and I don't even know how to leave you here I'm just gonna say that you get to choose a different life your life doesn't have to choose you you get to choose your life and now that I know how to choose my life I am so fucking grateful that I had the life that I have now even though it's messy I love you. I don't know if you gained anything from this transmission. I hope you did. And if nobody's told you recently, I believe in you. This has been the peacecollective.me podcast with your host, Rachel Hunter. I'm a corporate dropout. I am a mommy of two beautiful girls. I am a learning coach to them and I'm an online business owner and an advocate for self-love and healing and I'm grateful to be able to share this message with you and um, I hope you're able to find at least some glimmer of hope of what is possible that no matter what you go through in your life, healing and peace is possible and I am living proof of that. One of my biggest wishes is that I get to be an example of what is possible to the world by being the impossible. I love you. I'm grateful for you. If you love what you heard here, then go to the peacecollective.me website. You can get a free ultimate journey starter guide with a free download of wonderful, wonderful gifts. And you can also message us directly by clicking the button here and you can chat with us on WhatsApp, and if you have any questions, send it over. If you have feedback, send it over through the WhatsApp. I love you, and I will talk to you soon.